I had just as much risk, if not more, in the stock market than I did in real estate investments or these kind of other alternative investments. Welcome. I am Camilla Jeffs, a 20-year student of money. I'm an introvert who started out broke and full of fear. Fast forward to today, where I've conquered the secrets of getting my financial house in order, become a professional investor, and built a business that supports my family. And I'm going to show you exactly how I did it. We're going to talk about getting in the game as a real investor, building a business to support you and passing on wealth strategies to the next generation. Think of this as your one-stop shop for all things money. This is the Quiet Wealth Podcast. Welcome back to the Quiet Wealth Podcast. I'm your host, Camilla. I'm so excited because we have a guest on today's show. But first, if you're new here, welcome. We are so thrilled to have you. Here at Quiet Wealth, we empower Gen X women to do three things, build wealth, build businesses, and leave a legacy. And uh, my guest today is the amazing Keely Hubbard, who is doing all three of those things in so many impactful ways. So Keely, welcome to the show. Thank you, Camilla. I am honored to be here and been looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, Keely and I met about a year ago. I think it was a year ago. And and uh, she and I were speaking on a stage together. And we met there at that conference. And then since then, we've figured out that we actually live close by each other. So we live in Texas, in the Dallas, Texas area. So we've been able to meet for coffee in the mornings. And it's just been so fun to get to know her and her journey. So Keely, will you just tell our listener, tell us about your journey and who you are and what you love to do? Yes. Well, I, um, sometimes when people ask that question, I'm like, oh my God, where do you start? Because everybody has a a big story start way journey. back. Yeah. I want to hear all the stories. <laughs> yes. I mean, I'll start back to, so I'm, people know me for being a sales expert. I'm one of those weird people that just love sales. And I, you know, built a pretty big sales career for about 18 years in the corporate world on the financial education industry, which I loved and grew up. My father's an entrepreneur. He's a hedge fund manager. So grew up around the financial markets around private money, all those things. And so got into financial education and that industry in corporate and left back in 2017 to pursue my own consulting and coaching business. And around that time, my dad was leaving the financial markets because he just said it's, you know, interest rates were compressing at the time. He traded the foreign exchange market. He couldn't get enough movement to pull money out of the market. Anyway, he's like, we need to get into hard assets. Let's go into real estate together. And at that time, since I left corporate, I had, I had time to really pursue it. And really think about what do I want my life to look like versus when I was in corporate, I was so busy that I didn't really have time to reflect or think about like, am I doing what I want to do? It was very career focused and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I think if you love your job and you love what you do, keep doing it. Um, but I was exhausted at that point. And so dad and I got into real estate and done some multifamily projects and our big thing now, what we're really heavily focused on is agriculture and specifically vineyards in Texas. And so we build them from the ground up from raw land to full harvest. And we operate them as well for 40, 50 years. <laughs> My dad's like, I don't care what y'all are doing in 40 years, but, but I will be around for it. Cause the big focus there was legacy building and generational wealth. And so that's what I do. I coach sales and uh, help people get invested in agriculture, but I feel like that's I'm living super my, cool. my best life. And I'm so grateful for the life I live today. 
I love it. So the first pillar here is about building wealth. So talk to me about your wealth journey. I mean, how did vineyards come about? Tell us about, go way back when you didn't know much about, so I guess you knew a lot about money because you had a father who helped educate you, but like, when did you start investing and really start growing your own wealth? Yeah. When I started doing really well in sales is when I started putting aside chunks of money. Sales is a great career. It's hard because it's commission only, but if you're good at it, you know, you can make really, really good multiple six figures of money. The challenge in the beginning is it's kind of like new money. What I made in an entire year at my previous job right out of college to making that in one month. And so I wasn't so smart with my money in the beginning. I was buying all the things. <laughs> I really loved just spending money, which I found is typical of a lot of salespeople. So I could really could have used a lot more financial education back then. And even though my dad, you know, is entrepreneur and you know, in the financial markets, you think you know everything when you're in your mid-20s. So I didn't listen. You know, those are some of my lessons learned that I wish I had really started putting that money into income generating assets earlier. But once I got my head together and realized, okay, you can't just keep acting like this forever. You need to have savings and a nest egg and like the wealth bucket as when I really started getting into real estate investing and felt like I had a lot more control over it compared to stocks and the financial markets that felt like the just a wild roller coaster of volatility. So I really heavily got into that in 2016, 2017. And what type of assets were you focused on? Like which so, kind of real estate? Yeah, commercial real estate. Dad and I started with like a seven unit brownstone in Chicago and very quickly realized this is going to be hard to expand the portfolio and scale. And, you know, it's going to be hard if we live in Texas and start having all these smaller multifamily properties everywhere. So then we found larger multifamily, got into that, done some land, you know, projects, and then really heavily got into agriculture. And then recently added venture capital and kind of startup stuff to the portfolio, which I'm really learning now how important it is to have that piece in the portfolio. Like I, you know, have the stuff that is more recession resistant, a little bit more risk mitigated, but have the one where you're swinging for the fence. And it's not all your money, but it is a small portion of your money because those can be the home runs and they can also be a total loss, but understanding how to mitigate risk and how to use a piece of your capital or a piece of your portfolio for some of those investments that do have higher risk. So let's talk about the fear of losing money for a minute, because sometimes when I talk to other women, they are so afraid to lose money that they're afraid to try out any of these alternative investments, right? Because a lot of us were taught that when we grow up, you go to college, you get a job and you you do your 401k, then you retire. No longer is that going to work. It worked for our parents for sure, because they also had pension plans, right? But it's not going to work for us. And so I'm trying to really encourage women to level up their investing and to go after some of these bigger, more bold things. But something that keeps holding them back is the fear of losing money. So talk to me. How have you gotten over the fear of losing money? That's a great question. For me, it was recognizing that I had just as much risk, if not more in the stock market than I did in real estate investments or these kind of other alternative investments. I think in stocks, we've been so programmed to believe that our money is safe because it's diversified. And you know, Wall Street tells us diversify across sectors. None of that matters when everything's going down. You're losing money in stocks. <laughs> you know, It doesn't matter if you're in this sector or that one, you're still losing money. And so recognizing that I had to unwind a lot of that, those beliefs about how to get to retirement. And that doesn't matter what Wall Street tells you, if you look at the history of the markets and what baby boomers, my parents are going through today, 
it's not what it used to be. It's not when my grandparents retired, it's very different today. And so recognizing that there's just as much risk in stocks as there is in other investments helped me say, okay, I got to do something different. So how do I reduce the risk? How do I mitigate the risk? And understanding that it doesn't matter how much money I made in corporate, I'm not going to become wealthy off of a salary. I don't care if you're making mm-hmm. five, 600,000 a year. Yes, that's really good money. But to build real wealth, you have to invest it. Like you have to, there's no way around that. So how can you find a way with what your risk tolerance is to keep a large portion of your portfolio and cash flowing assets and diversifying yourself across asset classes, not putting all your money into multifamily and being diversified in four different states. That's not real diversification. It's diversification across asset classes. And for me, it's like the amount of money that you put into something. Like when I evaluated this venture capital opportunity, it's extremely risky. Like I could lose all my money that I put into it. So for me, it's visualizing, which people are going to be like, I don't, I don't want to visualize that. Like lighting the money on fire, putting it, you know, that much money in a bucket of cash and putting a match to it and asking myself, how does my life change if I lose all that money? And if it doesn't dramatically impact my life, do I believe, so I put a hundred grand in, I'm saying that, but do I believe that I can make a hundred thousand dollars in the next couple of years easily? from other investments, from my business. Now, if I'm leveraging the whole thing and putting my whole net worth in there, yes, that can be dramatic. But I go into investing knowing there's going to be some investments I lose money on, and there's going to be some investments that are just steady eddies, and there are going to be some that hit home runs. And overall, over the whole portfolio, if it's growing at a certain rate across all the asset classes, that's my goal. So going in with some expectations that there's risk in investing, but the alternative, you can't just sit in cash. You can't. You got to take steps forward. So how can you do that in a way that face worst case scenario, if losing a hundred grand changes your life dramatically, don't put a hundred thousand dollars in, put a smaller amount in. Yeah. So diversification is interesting because you're right. When you're first learning about financial education and you go to your first financial advisor, they're like, oh, you got to be diversified. That's an important thing. Like you hear the word diversification, but it's crazy to me how many people have their money only in the stock market and they feel like they're diversified, right? And now yeah. you're taking it like five more levels, you know, because I'm just trying to help people move some of your money into real estate so you could be more diversified, but you're taking it to like, not just real estate, you invest in multifamily, you have there's multiple parts of real estate, right? You can do multifamily, you can do commercial buildings, like office buildings, you can do hotels, you could do self-storage, like so many there, you can diversify across that. And then, you know, another step further is you can start investing in businesses. So there's a whole wide world that I think is just so fun to investing that people just don't get into. They're afraid of it, right? Because they're afraid of losing money. But I appreciate your perspective on that, you know, because at some point in time, we're all going to lose money, right? We all lost yeah. money. If you have money in the stock market two years ago, you lost money, right? Yeah. Then is it changing your life? Maybe, maybe not, but you're going to lose money. And so we can't be so emotionally attached to mm-hmm. money because that's when it can ruin your life, right? And mm-hmm. and so I always tell my my kids as I'm teaching them, right? Money is not the goal and it's not the enemy, right? It's yeah. simply a tool to help us experience life in the way we want to experience it. And so that's really important. So tell me more about investing in vineyards and land in Texas. (laughs) Yes. Well, I'm a seventh generation Texan. I'm one of those obnoxious people that are obsessed with their state. 
That's why we love this investment so much is because it's not just building a legacy in Texas. So Texas basically is a massive wine industry, $20 billion industry for Texas wine. And we don't make enough grapes. So we're like decades behind California when it comes to technology. We're pretty old school here in how we do things. And grape farmers can't keep up with the wine demand that continues to grow. And so that's all we've done is we've come in and we've plugged that supply gap and we're filling the supply gap. We'll be the largest vineyard operator in the state here in a couple of years, controlling more than 50% of the wine grape supply. So we didn't get into it just because we're like, oh, we love Texas wine or we love grape farming. It was find an expert who's done it. So our partners have taken, studied in California, taken that technology, brought it to Texas and proven the concept for eight years. And now that we've got the concept proven, now we're going to start pumping more grapes into the wine grape supply. So it's, you know, any investment, any type of ag investment that you get into, you're, you know, you're still evaluating what are the risks in this investment? What are the things that could go sideways? What's the cash flow look like? And we just really love agriculture because of this unique opportunity for the just massive supply gap to come in and fill it. And then also the long-term cash flow. So vineyards are not an annual crop. You don't plant them every year. You plant them once and they run for 25 years. And so we really like that aspect of it, that it can produce cash flow for that long of a period of time. I want to give a quick shout out to my podcast manager, Abby. If you're in need of help in launching and managing your own show, please reach out to her at productions at abbyguaki.com. I'll put her details in the show notes. She really is the best and I love her. Okay. So if someone wanted to invest in vineyards with you, how would they do that? So it is, you're teaching about syndication, obviously, but we have big group of passive investors that passively invest into the vineyard syndication and you own a piece of the whole business. You know, we own the land, we own the equipment, we own the vines, the steel, the wire that the vines grow onto, and you participate in harvest every year. It's a passive investor in a real estate syndication that it happens to be in Texas vineyards. I think that's cool too about, you know, you open up this whole world. Like once you get into syndication, there's like, wow, there's so many cool things I can invest in that maybe have not been on your radar prior to it. Ag is pretty cool. And we have a lot of California investors that are wine. They love California wine. (laughs) One of them said that to me. They're like, what if I don't like Texas wine? I'm like, you don't have to, we're not making wine. We're growing grapes. So you're investing in the grape production part of it. And then we send it off and ship it to the wineries and buy more California wine with the profits from Texas harvest. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. (laughs) That's amazing. That's amazing. Okay. So now let's pivot a little bit and let's talk about building a business. So I want to know why do you think it's important for women to own their own business and build their own business? There is. So there's the pride perspective. I think there's no better feeling than being proud of yourself and self-sustaining. Like I don't have to depend on anybody, but me, I can build something from the ground up. So you're not attached to a job where your future is largely dependent upon that company's ability to remain solvent for many years. So I think it gives you so much confidence in just to financially sustain yourself. I'm single. So I've always only ever depended on me. And from leaving this cushy corporate job that I had to start my own business was terrifying. I've proved to myself what I'm capable of. So I'm like, it gives you this sense of pride. Like I can't, it doesn't matter what it is. I can do it. Like, look at me, I've made it this far in business. Like I, I've got this. And I think that's the biggest thing is the freedom that it gives you and the ability to wake up every day, knowing that your future is not dependent on anybody else, but you. 
and you've mm-hmm. proven to yourself that you can trust yourself to do the hard things to make the business work. And I think that, you know, this whole like looking back and see how far you've come is a really important concept that that we need to remember because if you're just always looking ahead at how far you have to go, that can be very disheartening and very frustrating, you know, and you know, just looking back and you know, even like th- this podcast that I have, right? I set a goal to hit a hundred episodes. I launched my podcast and I want to do a hundred episodes in a year, right? And my year came and I had done 80. So I did not hit my goal, right? Now I could definitely like wallow in that and be like, oh my gosh, you totally failed. You did not hit a hundred episodes. Like that was just awful. Or I could look back and see, holy moly, I'm, I did 80 episodes in a year. Most podcasters stop after seven episodes and I pumped out 80 in a year. And so it's this whole concept of, you know, look back and see what you have done. As I think for a lot of women, sometimes we don't recognize the things that we've done because we're always looking forward or just try, continually trying to do things. We've got so many things on our plate. We're juggling a bajillion things all at the same time, but you really do have the ability to be a business owner. And I think it's, like you said, a huge confidence boost and it's a key to building wealth because there's a lot of tax advantages, right? To having a business. And so now if you have a W-2, money comes in, you get taxed on all that money, then you spend it. If you have a business, money comes in, you spend the money, then you get taxed. It's like a it's a whole different ballgame and mm-hmm. different mindset. So do you want to comment on like tax advantages of having a business? Oh my other gosh. advantages, I guess. I remember how much I was paying in tax when I was uh, an executive in corporate. It wasn't even on my radar. Like I could have even started a side business. I could have done something. I mean, there was so much money that funneled to the IRS and it's crazy when you get into those tax brackets. And I know any, anybody that's been a high income earner, you just think like, oh, well, it's just, it's the way it is. I can't do anything to change it. And there's so many other options. And once I learned the tax game, I was like, this is legal. And so now it's like, I, you know, I used to not like meeting with the, the accounting. It's like, how much money do I have to pay versus now it's like, oh, let's play the game. Like where are the legal loopholes that I can use to my advantage to pay the least amount of taxes as possible? I mean, I learned another one this year, the mistake that I made last year in my business that I'm excited about will save me a lot of money going forward. So I think having a CPA that understands tax strategy and is proactive about that is super helpful, but I'm really glad I'm not paying the IRS what I used to pay them. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I mean, it's, it's a lot. It can, it can definitely be a lot. And then like, you know, when my husband and I were both had W2 jobs or bringing in, you know, some significant income, it was super annoying. And so that's why I was so glad that we had real estate because real estate also yeah. made a hu- makes a huge advantage for you know, having tax breaks and write-offs and so businesses and stuff. I would say the velocity of wealth, if you can keep more of your money and invest that money that you were paying to the IRS, I mean, you, you can be multiple six figures ahead in not a small right. amount of time. And I talk about that concept often as well too. Like it's just all about keeping more, right? So how much can you keep? Um, it's not necessarily how how much you bring in or how much you're spending, right? That's not the right focus. The right focus is how much can I keep, right? And sure. and if you want to be able to keep more, okay, then you either have to increase your income or decrease your expenses. Very yeah. simple. And then you keep more and do it. Also, spend money on assets first and then let the assets buy your dreams. 
Okay, so let's talk about leaving a legacy. So Keely, what does leaving a legacy mean for you? So I'm single with no children. I am a dog mom. <laughs> and a lot of people <laughs> talk about- Very uh, cute dog, by the yes, way. Yes, <laughs> thank you. It's pretty cute. A lot of people talk about leaving a legacy and everybody thinks about their kids and generational wealth. And I think all that's important. I mean, I, I, I believe and know all that's important. So I have two nephews and I also know that he has three aunts and just on our side, they're going to have plenty of money. Like, I don't think my nephews are going to need me to leave them my money. So maybe I have a different take on legacy. I plan on spending all my money before I pass <laughs> on all the amazing things. Cause I look at legacy in a different perspective. It's like, well, if I'm not having kids in this life, maybe it's because I'm supposed to use the money that I make in this life to have an impact on thousands of children versus raising my own. I don't know what that looks like yet, but I feel like I have a calling to that. My eyes have been open to the horrific side of human trafficking and understanding things that were never on my radar that I really want to make an impact world. Even though I don't have kids of my own, I know I can make a huge impact on many children. So I I think about that from a legacy perspective. Mm -hmm. What am I leaving behind? But also not just what am I leaving behind, but how am I living day to day that honors my creator and this beautiful life that I was given? How do I make people feel when they leave my presence? Do they feel inspired? Do they feel full of hope? Are they laughing? Do they feel lighter? So I feel like legacy has to come back to how you live your life every single day. It's not about what can I consume and take? What can I give? And how can I leave every person that I interact with on a daily basis in a better place than they were before? That's how I look at legacy. Yeah, it's so important. And may I say, Keely, that you definitely are legacy walking, right? Like you are living <laughs> the legacy right now because just your the the way you give and and the inspiration that you have and you know so Keely has her own podcast. So what's the what's the name of your podcast? Standing in the arena. That's right. I was like, it's that it's that cool poem and you know, and standing in the arena and she reads it every single time and I just get so inspired and so I love listening to your podcast. So you. uh, to our listener, go check out Keely's podcast, Standing in the Arena. It's very inspirational and she has lots of really good tips on sales specifically. Now, Keely, I want to touch on one other little fact is that you and I have talked about this, but you are also an introvert. <laughs> so <laughs> Tell me more about uh, like how you've been able to succeed and have so much massive success in businesses as an introvert. Yeah, I'm a, I'm one of those like weird combos. It's like an introverted extrovert. Like I turn it on when I need to. If you're familiar with DISC personality types, D-I-S-C, my personality type is the D. So it's a dominant personality type that's extroverted, but doesn't really like to talk to people, which is crazy because I'm in sales and I've done really well in sales. Yeah. Rooms of hundreds of people are not my thing. I'm, you know, if I was sitting in the corner drinking scotch by myself, I'd be happy and like, you know, don't feel bad for me. Don't be like, oh, that poor girl who has no friends. I'm like, I'm in my happy place. (laughs) But if you want to come sit down and hang out, you know, come on over. So I think it's finding ways to build your business in a way that's authentic and true to your personality type. And so I teach sales. I've been very successful in sales, yet I hate networking. So part of it is you may not like it, but you have to do it because you don't talk about your business. You won't have a business, but finding ways to win. So my personality type, if I am networking, it's like I gamify it. Going in to have three meaningful conversations, set up three coffees next week. If I do that in 30 minutes, I'm out of there. 
versus I'm going to stay and I'm going to work the whole room and I'm going to meet every single person in this room. To me, that doesn't sound like fun. So find ways to let yourself win at whatever activity is that you don't enjoy because you are more introverted because we still have to do it. So, but there's ways to make it, there's ways to make it easier. Yep, for sure. There's so many strategies out there. And I think one of the things is just embrace who you are, right? Like don't try and be a fake extrovert because yeah. it's, it's going to come across as being a fake extrovert. Right. And it's going to feel so uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You're going to be uncomfortable. The other people are going to be uncomfortable. Yeah. So just, just be you and it's it's totally fine to to be you. So well, Keely, thank you so much for joining us here. Like your words of wisdom, the inspiration that you always give. I'm just honored to know you, call you a friend. And you know, I just love watching your journey and cheering for you from afar. So how can our listener they want to connect with you and and what can you offer them? I know you have tell us about your coaching that you do, your sales coaching as well. Yes. Well, I feel the same way about you. First of all, I'm so grateful to know another powerhouse woman that's making a big difference in a lot of women's lives. And thank you for this conversation. But yeah, you can find me on my website, just keelyhubbard.com. You've got a, you have an interest in sales, or maybe you absolutely hate sales, but you know, it's something you need to learn to grow your business. I'm your girl. Promise you, I won't ever teach you anything that's cringy, but I'm confident I can help you learn to love it in a way that feels authentic to you. And then the vineyard stuff, you can check me out on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active there, but I'm happy to chat about either. If you want to grab coffee on Zoom and meet, I love meeting other women that are doing big things in this world. Well, thank you so much for joining us here at Quiet Well. Appreciate you being here and please share this episode with a woman that you know and love so she can also be inspired by Keely and her journey. We'll talk next time. Bye for now. Thanks so much for joining me on the Quiet Wealth Podcast. If you want more, head on over to camillajeffs.com forward slash podcast to get the show notes and dive into other episodes. While you're there, be sure to grab the free guide to building wealth. And if you know a friend who is struggling with money, please send this episode to them. Let's share the wealth in as many ways as we can. Until next time, much success.